0: This all-in campaign. There are a few things that um that Steve has kind of been unpacking, and so as we're looking at this, I'm just going to kind of catch you guys up. If you're if you haven't been a part of this, most of this year we've been talking about this this uh, this phrase that we're kind of coining at, at at Vintage called real life, and real life is being who God created you to be, doing what God created you to do. You see, I really believe that none of us are really fully probably living out the fullness of what God thought of when he created us due to sin and the fall that, you know, there is so much more of who we could be and can be as we grow closer to be like Christ and that being closer to what God had in mind when he thought of you and me that we can live in reality of his his presence and have him become truly real in our life but there are things that need to happen in our life, some accountability, some, some change that needs to take place in who we are to be who God created us to be, which is different than who we may have kind of shaped ourselves to become in the life that we're living. And then to do the things that God has in store for us to do. Scripture teaches us that, that before the creation of the world, that God has good works for each one of us to do, that he, he has those specific, specifically planned out. And to help each other and to help you discover the things that God has in store for you to do. In unpacking this real life, we have um we have three circles that we're going to that we've been addressing and we're going to continue to address this morning. The first one is discipleship, the second is family, and the third is mission. And I have the world's hand, worst handwriting, but that's about as neat as I can write. Okay, y'all can actually read that. I'm impressed with myself. I usually can't read my own handwriting, so. These three circles are discipleship, family, and mission. And Steve has spent most of the time that we've, uh, we, we've, we've been participating over the last few weeks about spiritual family. That, you know, I really don't believe that New Testament, New Testament Christianity exists outside of having community. How can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't really get to know your neighbor? If your relationships are really only at a surface level? You know, so as we develop and have spiritual family that are loving us and and helping hold us accountable and help build us up as we build each other up, um, that's a big part of what the New Testament says about you know the one another's in Scripture, and so we believe that having a spiritual family in a place that you belong is a critical part of living your real life. And real life, we're saying, is is really where these three things connect, overlap. We're going to be diving into mission in the coming weeks. But last week, Steve started us off on, on this circle, discipleship. And as, we've, uh, as I discovered this week, you know, discipleship is one of the things specifically that I've studied in my time in ministry and, and really given quite a bit of focus to. And, and it was really fascinating to me as we had some questions from last week's sermon in our small groups and stuff of just how misunderstood discipleship is in the Western church, in our culture. Um, you know, as we think about discipleship, you know, as we talked about in my group, you know, a lot of thoughts about, you know, ministry to people, caring for people, doing things for people, you know, being the good neighbor, you know, is, is thought of. And that's that's probably where, you know, family, being a good Christian, probably in this, in this line on and probably some overlap here, but you're caring for one another and really loving each other and ministering to one another, right? And then the concept of kind of discipleship takes place, and that's probably, that's probably somewhere down in here, or, or, or maybe over here where this overlaps. But discipleship is very different than evangelism or ministry. And while there is clearly overlap of discipleship and ministry, I mean, of evangelism and ministry in this circle of discipleship, our goal this morning is to just take, a, take this morning and try to define what is discipleship based on what we see it to be in the New Testament, specifically as Jesus commissioned his disciples at the very end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, in what we call the Great Commission in the church. So we're going to look at that passage this morning and try to discover what is discipleship and and what is it defined to be. I want to begin by kind of looking at the context in which Jesus was teaching this principle as he invited people to come and follow him and be disciples. As Steve addressed last week, being a disciple is being a follower of another person, right? That's the general definition. But what does that mean for you and I today, and what did it mean for Jesus? So in the Hebrew culture in the in the first century, um, children grew up going to church much like our, our kids do, but there was a lot more, I think, meat involved in what was expected of kids in that day. I mean, they went to the synagogue and... These kids would study the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. And you grew up, if you were a a Jewish kid in that day, you grew up every day studying and, and trying to memorize the Torah. Literally to the point that by the age of potentially 12 to 15, many of these kids could recite by memory those five books of the Bible. Now, how many people in here can recite, by memory, more than 30 scriptures, verses in the Bible, much less five of these books? I mean, fascinating at the responsibility and the challenge that these kids had, right? Very different. These kids that were the great students and that learned the Torah and that continued to study the Torah, obviously there are seasons, you know, in an agricultural, you know, uh, setting. There are seasons where kids take time off and go help with the crops or take time off and go help their dad with the nets that they're fishermen. The kids also learn trades. And then at some age, depending on how a child did in studying, you know, essentially their schooling, they um, they either move toward learning a trade to provide for themselves or they continued. The best of the best would continue in their studies. And as they would continue into the the deeper and deeper layers of their study as they became teenagers, then they would look to, to look at this term we're, I'm going to look at this morning. And it's this Hebrew word that the, it's, it's called the taladim, and it means disciple. The taladim, they look to become a part of a taladim, which is a disciple of one of the rabbis that taught in accordance with the Old Testament. And so at, at some point they would venture so deep into this, and make this their lifestyle, they would go to a rabbi and ask him, can I come and be one of your disciples, a taladim? And if the rabbi said, yes, you can come, then that meant that the rabbi, he would say, yes, come and follow me. That meant that the rabbi saw potential in you to become like he is. And at that point, the person who was just accepted into this rabbi's Taladin would leave everything that they have. And go spend all of their time at the feet of their rabbi. With the hope and intention to learn everything that could from their rabbi to grow up to be like him. You see, the plan was to be with him all the time in order to grow to be like him. And that was the context of first century discipleship. Now, if I said, how many of you, and according to that, are disciples. Have you left your job, as Peter did, put down his nets, and went and followed Jesus, giving up his lifestyle and everything? Peter had a family, but yet went and spent time with Jesus, sitting at his feet, listening to all his teachings, and trying to become like his rabbi. Part of what we're looking at this morning as we look into different scriptures is that understanding that there is this context to discipleship. There's a, there's a cost to discipleship. For Peter, literally when he was invited, uh, you can see this this passage in Luke chapter 4 where, where Peter is invited and Jesus says, it's the, it's the story you probably all have heard growing up, you know, cast your nets on the other side of the boat and then, you know, they can't bring up all the fish. Even though they've been fishing all night, Jesus said cast out the nets and they catch all these fish. And immediately uh, Peter, once he gets back to the shore, comes and says, Rabbi, oh, you great one. I want to, you know, and, and Jesus' comment back was, I'll now make you a fisher of men. And Peter put down his nets and began following Jesus. It just doesn't fit the context of who we are today to recognize that there is this cost of putting aside everything that you have and becoming a follower of Jesus, because what does that look like? Well, one of the things I want you to understand in this is that there, is, there are, is a clear line, a clear circle around discipleship. And in order for it to be biblical discipleship, then it at least has to be an understood relationship between a person and a person that's coming to learn, a person that is teaching. And it's a structured relationship. So that is different than ministry that might happen on the spot in the grocery store with your next door neighbor or whatever the case may be. Those things are great. But in order for discipleship to be biblical discipleship, then it's not just a loose thing that happens anywhere and everywhere. It is also and specifically a thing that you enter into a relationship into or with another person in order to grow to be like them. Now. Here's the interesting thing about this. I have a group of men that I meet with on, on Thursday mornings, and we have breakfast together, and, and I've invited them into uh, a discipleship relationship, right? And so we meet every, every Thursday morning at 6 o'clock, and I've invited them, I've asked them to a commitment of a year of meeting with me, where, and this is my invitation. I called these guys up. I said, um, I want to invite you to discipleship. What we're going to do, we're going to meet every once a week for a year, and I'm going to pour into you and invest my life into you, and at some point during this year, at the end of this year, you know, that you will be equipped to pour into and disciple other men. And it, I, I am still astonished at the number, the percentage of men that with that little, that's all I say, it's, it's less than 60 seconds of an invitation. I'm still astonished at the percentage of men that immediately say yes. Now, you think about our day in our culture where we don't have time for anything, Hardly. And yet, here's this opportunity to say, would you give up a year of your life by meeting with me once a a week? And this is going to change the rest of your life because you're making a commitment at this point to disciple and to invest into other people for the rest of your life. And yet, out of three three years of uh, discipleship groups of over 30, about 30 guys, I think I've only had two guys not say yes. Now, I can't, if I asked you to come help shake hands at the front door, I mean, i get 10% of you say, okay, yeah, I'll come shake hands at the front door. And yet this is like this commitment that people are stepping into. And what I'm wanting you to see in this is that God has a plan and intention to bring life into our lives and into the church through discipleship. There is a cost that's involved. But what does discipleship really mean if we're going to look at it in the context of the New Testament? Again, back to Jesus' context, this person who was going to be discipled had to be with Jesus or had to be with their rabbi because their one goal was to become like their rabbi. And one day there would come this moment, and this was the hope of every young boy growing up in this Jewish culture, that one day the rabbi would turn to them and say, make disciples. Because that was this badge of honor from the man that has been pouring into you, this spiritual father figure that says, I now see within you the potential to go make other people like us. And they would then go make disciples. And this is where we want to pick up in scripture of what we're looking at this morning. And it comes from, again, what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the very end of Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going, to be, I'm going to read it to you this morning. You can follow along with me. But it starts with, you know, when we, you probably, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this passage where Jesus says, go make disciples, go into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? What's the first, what's the first word? in that piece that you're instructed to do, right? To go. Right? Go make disciples. That's the way we read it in the Western church. Is that it's a responsibility that we have to go do something. There's some truth to that, but I mean, if we really think about what all gets asked of you as a Christian, well, you got responsibility to help out in the church, you got responsibility to tithe, you got responsibility to Love your neighbor. you got responsibility to, you know, care for orphans and widows. you got responsibility to show up for church on Sunday and maybe help back in the village. And, I mean, you start kind of creating this responsibility list, and it's like, man, it, there's just a lot that's getting asked of me. So, I mean, one more thing of go make disciples. I mean, how is that really going to fit into my life and all the other things I'm being asked to go and do? Well, here's what I want you to see is what's the first word in this passage? It's not go, it's therefore. But most of us hear the Great Commission as this invitation and this command for us to go do something. Well what you're going to see this morning is to, to hopefully debunk a couple things. This week, the, the two primary reasons that I, I hear from people of why discipleship is not something that is taking place in their life or could take place in their life is is because of time and because they don't feel able or qualified or you know, capable to lead somebody to disciple others. So we're going to try to debunk those two things by looking at Scripture this morning. Therefore, go. Well, therefore is speaking. Anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, you have to look and see what the previous statement being made was. The previous statement being made was, "As Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Is that important? Therefore, go and make disciples. Okay, all authority in heaven and earth, Jesus is saying, has been... How much authority is that? I mean, you think about it. If to this, to this group of kids that have grown up and are able to... And they know the Torah, right? These people that have been following Jesus, when he says all authority, I mean, they immediately are going to God spoke and everything came into being. God spoke light and light came onto the scene. I mean that that one just blows my mind. I might have mentioned this, uh, uh, you know, before. Imagine light not existing. And you're so smart that you can create something called light. I mean, just sit around and think on that for a while if you if you like to think on things. Like imagining just thinking up light as though it had ne- but it had never existed. This is a pretty big god. And we look at, you know, we can look through the Hubble telescope and see billions of of planets and solar systems billions of light years away that means that light's been traveling for billions of years before the Hubble telescope can actually see it it's not a live picture it's a picture of something that happened billions of years ago and God spoke and everything that we know to be in existence came into existence now that's a pretty big God and that's a lot of power and Jesus said all authority and power has been given to me therefore go and make disciples Friends, I can't make a disciple of Jesus Christ on my own. I can make a disciple of Scott, but I can't make a disciple of Jesus. Only the Spirit of Jesus can make a disciple of Jesus. You understand? I can lead somebody to look like me or to do things the way that I do, and there's a part of that that we're going to get to that that can be healthy. But the real thing that is happening in biblical discipleship is Jesus commissions the disciples is he saying in the context of all authority and power is given to me and I'm commissioning you to go and make disciples. It's not something you do. It's something the Spirit of God does because only the Spirit of God can shape someone into the image of Christ. I can't shape someone in the image of Christ, but the Spirit of God can use me because that's what he's chosen to do, to use you and me to be the agent in which he leads people to live their life for Christ and be shaped into the image of who he is. So what are the specific things that we're asked to do as Jesus commissions them? He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right? So what is baptism about? Most of us, when we think of baptism, we think of, okay, you've got to get dunked underwater, and you come back out, and you're making a public proclamation of your your faith, right? And so, you know, just as we're looking to try to understand what is this discipleship, we have to understand, well, then what is baptism? And we have baptisms coming up, and one of the things that we do with kids or adults that are choosing to be baptized is, you know, we talk to them, what is this that you're committing to do? Because it's not about getting wet, it's about something much more a few different scriptures that we can look at this morning in reference to what is baptism, right? Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by the physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the almighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. We were therefore, Romans six chapter, verse four, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a life, may, may live a new life. Galatians two twenty I have seen uh, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, leading people to baptism is, yes, there is this act of being dunked underwater, that you are being why your sins are being washed away, but as you come up out of the water, you are choosing to live no longer for self, but live for Christ. That you are choosing to become and say, yes, I want to be a follower of Christ. And you are living no longer for self, but you are living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Discipleship is about God, the Holy Spirit, using you and using me and being led by others into fully living your life, new life, in Christ. As Paul goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And most of us, most of us, in in my experience in the Western church has been, and I'm not bashing the Western church, I'm just recognizing how lacking we, you know, the understanding of discipleship we, we have had. Most of us have been invited into a Christian faith that is all about fire insurance. It's about a retirement plan that after you've lived your life, you get to go into heaven. And if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're missing that atoning, you know, Blood that he, that he died for us on the cross that our sins could be forgiven and that one day we will get to go to heaven. And friends, that is a half gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that we can have life here and now. From this moment forward, as he said in John ten ten, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full. That you can begin tasting and living a spiritual life here and now, not just having to wait until one day you get into heaven. That the Spirit of God can come live inside of you, and you can become a follower of Jesus Christ, and a follower of Jesus Christ, a person who is being a disciple of Jesus Christ, is looking to be just like Him. Who did Jesus? How did Jesus say that He lived? We see this throughout John, where He said, I simply do what I see the Father doing, and I hear... I simply do what I see the Father doing and say what I hear the Father saying. Right? This is how Jesus is saying he lived his life. He's not living on his own will. He's living connected to the Father in heaven by the Spirit of God that is alive within him. And he's simply saying, I simply do what I see the Father doing and saying what I hear the Father saying. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, it is your mission to live in the same way in which he lived. And most of us, because of the whatever gospel was presented to us, feel like once we've said a prayer and we get to enter into heaven, the discipleship component of laying down our life and choosing to have him live his life through us is missing. How many hands in here of people would say they have been in a discipleship relationship? A handful. For the most part, if if we were really living in the context of a New, New Testament plan, everybody that had prayed a prayer for Jesus to come live within them, ideally everybody would raise their hand. And there would be this family aspect to our spiritual lives where people are sowing into us and pouring into us and helping us try to live a life in accordance with the Spirit of God. So it, it's kind of like this. If I were to say to Mike sitting here, Mike, I need you to go out in the lobby and I'm going to give you a hundred million dollars. And I want you to, if you can put a Ford F-150 pickup truck together in the lobby, you think my, I would have Mike's attention? Would I have anybody's attention if I was giving away a hundred million dollars? Right. I'm interested. Right. But if I ask you to go into the lobby and, and put together a Ford F-150 pickup truck, how are you supposed to do that? I mean, you can't make a transmission out of your earwax. I mean, there's not parts in the in the in the lobby right now. You just walk through. There's not a you know all the parts and pieces of an F-150 pickup truck. And so I've asked him to go do something that he is not capable to do in and of himself. You with me? But if I happen to say Mike, I want to invite you to go out into the lobby and. And, you know, I'm going to give you a year to do this. And in a year, if you can put the parts of an F-150 pickup truck together to be a running truck, I'm going to give you the $100 million. But here's the deal. There is the, the Ford's number one engineer and mechanic is waiting in the back parking lot with all the pieces to an F-150 truck, and he's going to come work alongside of you, and he has every manual of how to build a transmission, and he's going to stand over you and say, you need to put this piece on top of that, and then you put this ring inside there, and then you need to bolt this thing down, and you set it aside, and we're going to move on to the next step. And you've got a year to do it. Do you think that that might seem like a capable or possible thing for you to be able to do? Friends, it's the exact same thing with us in discipleship. In and of ourselves, it's impossible for us to make disciples of Jesus Christ. But because he loves us and because his plan from day one is for us to be with him and for him to be with us, then he invites you and I into this relationship to have him come, provide all the resources, provide all the know-how, provide all the parts and say, here, I want you to do this now. Say this to that person or ask this question. A lot of us, when we think about, I don't know whether or not I could disciple another person, we, we feel like we need a filing cabinet full of different lessons and practical materials to be able to walk people through. And that's what we see when we read the next part of this passage. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. Here's the a, here's a part where this is a really good thing if you recognize it. Jesus has this whole thing rigged. It's rigged. The only way that you can be a disciple maker is that you you have a responsibility to know who he is and what he's about. You have a responsibility to follow him and to learn how to listen to him and to learn how to see what he's doing and to learn how to recognize what did he teach. If you don't know what the principles that Jesus taught were, how are you going to know how to teach other people? If I were to say to any one of you, your responsibility next week is to come up here and preach, what would your week look like? You'd either get on the next plane out of town so that you couldn't have to be here, or you would get into the Bible and you would be listening to every podcast and trying to figure out what in the world am I supposed to say after standing in front of people and teach something, right? Jesus has it rigged. His very invitation, his very commission to go make disciples is this dependence relationship on you and me to have to grow. When you have the responsibility to teach somebody else, you will grow like a weed. But you take that responsibility away and we tend to not flourish. He's got it rigged. He's a pretty smart guy. He's got a lot of things figured out. One of the things that uh, that that I run into all the time in, in talking to people is, you know, one of the things that we get caught up on is trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. Trying to figure out what God is saying to do. And let me just tell you, in in all my years of ministry and, and trying to read the Bible, I've met, I would love somebody to show me in here one time where God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God said, figure it out. That's what I want you to do now go figure it out. He doesn't say it. He doesn't say, I'm giving you a command, now go do it and figure it out on your way. No, he says, come on, let's go. Come, follow me. It's always an invitation to join with him to do a thing that we can't do ourselves. He is not asking you to create a filing cabinet of discipleship lessons so that you can do discipleship with other people. That's not discipleship. That's a program. Discipleship is not a program. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of living your life fully dependent on following the Spirit of God, the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and obeying Him in whatever He leads you to. You don't have to put down the net of your job to be led to disciple people. You see, when you walk into the office, the kingdom of God just entered your office. But are you living in the kingdom of God, and are you welcoming the kingdom of God to flow through you into that office that you work in? Jesus has got it rigged. He wants you to experience a fullness of life because His Spirit is the Spirit of life, and He wants you to come alive. Great Christian theologian and author. Dallas Willard passed away earlier this year. Dallas is one of my heroes in the faith. Before he he passed away, as the more I study Dallas's writings and, and teachings, the the more I I, I kind of came to answer this question: if, you know, who's the one person you would want to sit down with and spend a day with? Dallas Willard quickly became my person before he passed away, and I've got a quote that we're going to look at this morning from Dallas. And this is what he says: the cost of non-discipleship is far greater than the cost of discipleship. Even when his life alone is considered, it it is considered the price paid to walk with Jesus. Jesus himself tells us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the Apostle John tells us that God's commands are not burdensome to us. We rarely see clearly the costs and burdens that would come upon us should we abandon the life that Jesus offers. Willard, again, non-discipleship costs abiding peace. A life penetrated throughout by love. Faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good. Hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. Power to do what is right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs us exactly that abundance of life Jesus said he came to bring. Friends, in discipleship, that's what. We're in this relationship for the the men that I meet with on on Thursday mornings. You know, they're they're meeting with me and I'm meeting with them. It's not hopefully about me just because I've been a part of discipleship and I have a lesson I can pull out of a file. That's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about what the spirit of God, what Jesus wants to do in their lives and in my life as we all grow. Paul says, yes, come and follow me and become like me as I am being shaped into the image of Christ. He's not saying, come be my disciple. He said, come join me in the journey as I am being molded and shaped to Christ. So be molded and shaped to Christ as well. And let's go on this journey together. So if you when you think about discipleship, if you're thinking about a filing cabinet, and if I can just go through the different lessons of encouraging somebody in their faith. Then that's not it. That's what the church has been so great at is is is, while there is a value in teaching. And this isn't a spiritual gift of teaching. This is, the, this is everyone who's a Christian should be able to teach. It comes from, you know, this, this greater context that we see, you know, discussed. When Jesus says, you know, when you're before Judges or the Sanhedrin, don't worry about what you will say, that the Spirit will lead you in what you are to say when the time comes. That you take the responsibility and you trust God Commit to the relationship. Commit to the opportunity. Step into it and watch and see God's going to show up and kind of make the whole plan clear. And all you have to do is sit and listen and obey. Discipleship in the Bible is actually really clear. Over and over and over again, it's listen, watch, and do. Listen, watch, and do. And I'm confident that Mike could put that F-150 pickup truck together with that engineer and mechanic standing beside him say, here, listen, and watch, and do this, it could happen. And that $100 million is just a, a drop in the bucket compared to what is waiting for us in the kingdom when we live our lives to store up treasures in heaven. You see, either Jesus is a liar, or his plan to lead us into abundant life involves discipleship. And somehow, some way, we've completely missed it. But what I want you to hear this morning is that it's not your responsibility to figure out how to do this. It's your responsibility and my responsibility to be disciples, to follow, to enter into this commitment and to enter into this relationship that Christ wants to have with us. And then he wants to have us invite other people to come join us in this journey and walk together and make a commitment to meet together and to sow into one another and to watch him shape and mold us into his own image. Now, based on the things that we've been discussing and based on the groups that, that many of you are in, this understanding of discipleship has been missing. But here's the reality, and here's the last part of this verse. We are to live our lives trusting and knowing that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. He therefore then commissions us to go make disciples, leading people to die themselves and live fully for God. Leading people and and teaching the things that we're learning, and leading people to obey the very things that, that Jesus commanded us to live by. For lo, I am with you even to the ends of the age. Imagine how different your life and my life would be if we lived every moment believing that Jesus was ever present with us and wanted to guide us in everything that we do. I was having a conversation with somebody this week and they're like, well, God, you know, this sounds good, but I still don't know how do I do this? And I'm like, our minds are so busy with trying to figure things out. I said, it's very simple. Just stop and ask the question in your mind. In the form of a prayer, Lord, what do you think about this situation? Because our minds race with what we think about a situation or a circumstance or an opinion or what Susie said about this or I wonder what this is going to look like in front of this. I wonder what I should wear today, whatever. What do you just stop and ask, engage God in a prayer and just say, what do you think? I challenge you. That's your homework. I challenge you to try it. Literally stop your thinking and invite God to speak what his thoughts on whatever it is you're dealing with are and see if some new thought doesn't pop in your head that is an invitation to follow and to trust him and to live a way different than we typically do when we're letting our own minds and our own wills lead to charge in our own lives. Discipleship's not a program. It's not a test you can take and pass and move on. It's a lifestyle, and it's a lifestyle of learning to put your faith in and trust Jesus Christ to do a work in you and to do a work through you that enters into other people's lives. The reality is, friends, this is what... This is what we're here for. At Vintage, we don't expect you to have a filing cabinet of programmatic opportunities, of discipleship lessons. But I have a file, and I'm happy to share anything that I can, suggestive, helpful ways of what about this or what about that, or questions to be able to ask. But that's not, that's not the, the piece of the puzzle. Those aren't the specific answers. Those are learning opportunities for you and I both to grow and develop those files that can be useful for leading other people. But there is this place where God is calling each of us to something so much more. And it's to follow him in a way beyond what, at least in my experience, the church has done and the church has invited us to. Now, Vintage 242 is not exclusively the church of Jesus Christ. That would be a cult, okay? But we are trying to be as much like the first century church as we can and recognize the things that, according to the first century church, are missing in our experience from the Western church. We want you to go and be a part of whatever church that Jesus calls you to in whatever way he calls you to. But one of the things and this really this week really is about kind of an in-house conversation. So if you're new, you're right in the middle of a kind of in-house conversation and plan for who we believe God's calling us to be as a church, but it really involves discipleship. If you've been a Christian for I met somebody last week, you've been a Christian for 20 years. I said, "How many how many sermons you think you've heard in 20 years?" And just conservatively between coming on Sunday and different things that they listen to He may have heard a thousand different sermons in his life. And yet, if I asked him, do you feel equipped to make disciples? He'd say, no, I have no idea. And I'm like, think of this as ammunition. You've heard a thousand different sermons, and each one of those a bullet, and yet you look in your, your box and you say, I don't have any ammunition. Christ is calling us to something so much more. There has to be this application that comes along with his teaching in order for this to become alive in our lives. And many of us have had lesson after lesson after lesson, but without the application of inviting the Holy Spirit to minister through us, we miss all that He has rigged for us to know Him and to grow in His likeness. So my question for you this morning is, what does it mean for you as you walk out the door? What does it mean for you in your life to have a biblical, hopefully from just looking at this passage, a biblical concept of understanding in some small way. We could. There's some, the hardest thing about preparing this lesson today is to not get on off all the tangents of what we could get into in, in looking at discipleship and to try to keep this simple. What does God have in store for you as you walk out the door? Because if I, if I ask you about your time, you say, I don't think I have time for that. And I were to ask you, hypothetically, give me some grace for a moment. If I said, everybody in here just contracted Ebola. And in order to live, you have to go every Wednesday morning and get hooked up to an IV for eight hours. Would you make time for that? You got to go get a treatment every Wednesday morning and have be hooked up to this IV for eight hours. Would you go do it? Hopefully you would. If not, we need to go meet in my office on a ministry. No, I'm kidding. Um, you would make time for that. Would you forget about it? Would you say, Oh, it was Wednesday. I forgot to go get my IV treatment, now I'm gonna die. Right? You wouldn't forget about it. Why? Because it's a priority of life and death. Friends, Jesus Christ was just resurrected from the dead. Like, I don't know how he popped onto the scene, but he popped onto the scene or was waiting on this mountainside in Galilee for the disciples to arrive. He's just risen from the dead, and the one thing that he says to his disciples, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples. You think it's a big priority for Jesus? And yet, as we look at discipleship and where it fits on our totem pole, I think mostly it's almost unseen or it's way down at the bottom. And I don't say that at all in a condemning way. Hopefully you don't hear any condemnation from this this morning. Hopefully you hear an invitation of how much more God has in store for you by being a part of a a spiritual family that's making it a part of who we are to try to dive in and learn together what Jesus has really called us to be. And then, And then be that in the world that we live in and just watch and see what he wants to do with it. That's the invitation. Are you willing in this invitation to ask Jesus to make the things that are his priority your priority? He's saying, come and follow me. Learn to be with me. Learn to be like me. And it's a work that he himself will do in you and in me. And then through each and every one of us. Into one another. Let's pray. Father, thank you for. Uh, thank you for loving us enough to uh, to rig this whole thing. The Lord, you are not calling us to go just do another thing. Lord, you are calling us to be a people that just every day and every breath as we uh, as we seek to live for you that we find you lord you say knock and the door will be open so lord uh, right now i just pray that you just move in our lives and um and let our will come to the table and, and knock knock that you might come and do something more within us there there is nothing but abundant life that you have in store. Thank you, Lord, that you won't allow discipleship to be a program, that you invite it to be a lifestyle, and you invite us to come and, and lay down everything to live with you. But all that you give us is life. All that you give us is blessing. All that you give us is abundance, a life in you and, and, and treasures being stored up in eternity. Lord, it is not a life of, of moral standard. It is not a, a life of, of right from wrong. It is a life of learning to love. And to have your love come, come and live within us. And so Jesus, right now, I just pray that some amazing way, in a way that only you can, that, that you just allow your word that is life to sink into our hearts, that invites us to so much more. Lord, let this morning be nothing to do with condemnation, but have everything to do with a vision of who you called us to be. A life different than who we would ever be if we don't live and follow and trust you in, every, in all that we are. Thank you, Father, that you have not left us as orphans, but you place your spirit within us, the spirit that cries out, Abba, Father, you have placed your seal upon us. Now come, Lord, and bear your fruit through us.